0: Hey there, my name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry Church. Now I want to take a quick second before we get started to say thank you for tuning into the Foundry Church podcast. However you found this podcast, whether you're a part of our church community here in Central Florida, or maybe you just found us somewhere in the internet, I want to say thank you for having us be involved in your spiritual journey this week. We want you to know this, that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, there is a place for you here in our community, and we're excited to be growing together as a church, as a community, and as a body of believers in pursuit of Jesus and of a better you and a better world. We've been in this awesome series called The Land, and I can't wait for you to hear this message from our teaching team. So, with that being said, enjoy today's message. In week three of our series called "The Land," and today we're going to talk about three, three different kinds of trees, and we're going to talk about what these trees represent, uh, the benefits of these actual trees, and then like one bigger thought to connect the three trees together, which I think is going to be awesome if you hang in there with me. Uh, last week, we talked about a lot of things in week two. Uh, we talked heavily about this idea of transition. God is taking the people from the land of Egypt to the land of Israel. He tells them it's going to be a lot different than what you're used to, so you need to trust me. Next week, we're going to talk about what's known as the seven varieties, which has to deal with like the, the abundance of of the plants and stuff in the land of Israel which is going to be really cool I hope that you will be here for that but this week we're still going to be kind of in this desert transition times and we're going to look at these trees that they would have come across in the uh, desert area okay so today we're going to look at Jeremiah 17 Jeremiah 17 in this passage there are three different trees that are referenced a couple of them are obvious. One of them is a bit hidden. Uh, and you have to remember that Jeremiah is a prophet, so he's using these trees as a reference point for a message that he's trying to convey to them. We're not gonna be using the passage in the same way. We're gonna be looking at these references and then using these to point to a whole kind of different thought process, okay? So stay with me. Jeremiah 17, verse five. It says this. This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> Cursed is the one who trusts in man, Who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not uh, see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. In a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Did you get the three trees in there? You got it figured out already? We can just go home. Okay, good. Uh, that last line may sound a bit familiar, like a tree planted by the waters where its roots go out into the stream. This uh, is very similar to Psalms 1, ch- uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 3, which says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stay in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night, that person... Is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves uh, does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So what is it that comes to mind when you think of a tree planted by a stream? What is the image that you have in your brain? Maybe it looks something like this. Oh, it's so peaceful. Maybe it's something like this. Oh, yeah, there's psalms, Yeah. Maybe it's something like this. Oh, it's all very nice. It's very peaceful. It's very tranquil. It's very comforting. Absolutely. You see, we have the tendency to take our experiences and overlay them on the text of the Bible. So when we read a passage like this, like a tree planted by the waters, its roots, we picture something that we're familiar with, something from our own experience. But what you have to remember is that this is like a desert-type people, which means they're going to be using desert-type references. Desert things would be more fitting at this time for who they were and where they were. So while our American Western 21st century mindset or experience might be like those pictures that we showed, right, and that may be comforting and that may bring some sense of serenity to your life, yes, that's wonderful, but that wouldn't really be like a biblical image Because they're desert people and these are desert references. So what does a tree planted by the stream whose roots go out into the water in the desert look like? Because I don't know if you know this, but deserts aren't really known for their rivers and streams, are they? All right, might look like this. Here you go. This is uh, the acacia tree right there. We'll come back to this picture in a minute. But many uh, believe that this is uh, this passage in Psalms is in reference to the acacia tree. Now, the acacia tree is really interesting. This is tree number one, so we got to talk about this, give, make a few observations, and give you some facts about the tree, and then we'll keep moving on. Um, the acacia tree, uh, it, it provides a lot of benefit for uh, people traveling through the desert. It's known, it's it's kind of become known as the Bedouin's best friend because of its ability to provide for those wandering and traveling through the desert. Um, It it has the ability, uh, it's a very uh, hard type of wood. It's a very slow growing tree. So it creates a very hot, long lasting fire if you find yourself traveling in the desert. Um, It's also uh, believed that, or it's also, they use the sap for different kinds of medicinal uses, for example, you can boil the sap and uh, boil it down, and then drink some of that to help with some stomach issues if you got something going on with you. Um, or you can use it—you can use the leaves and create this like a, like a salve or an ointment to treat some sort of wounds that you may occur, a scratch of whatever you got going on as you're traveling through the desert. Um, it also, the leaves and the pods of the acacia tree are very beneficial for if you have some animals that you're transporting through the desert. It does a lot of good things. It provides a lot of different ways. Um, in fact, there's this really cool kind of side note about this tree is that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very thorny. It has a whole lot of thorns. Let me show you these thorns just so you can get an idea. Like, this isn't a tree you want to get a kite stuck in or have to climb to get a cat out or something. Like, this is pretty bad news. But what's interesting about these thorns is that there's this variety of ant that will chew a hole in the tips of the thorns and then hollow out the thorn and then make a nest in that hollowed out thorn. And then the tree and the ant have this symbiotic relationship where the ant gets housing from the tree and then the ant protects the tree in return. So if something comes to try to eat it, the ants will then attack it. And then what happens is once the ants eventually leave the thorn that they were in, um, you have all these hollow thorns with these tiny holes in them. And so when the wind blows across it, it actually creates like this very light whistling sound. So it's like a whole bunch of little flutes that are attached to this tree, which I think is just fun. You're welcome. Now, in the Bible, (laughs) the acacia tree and the acacia wood is used for all different kinds of building. Uh, it's, It's referenced in building the tabernacle and building the temple. It was also used to build the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant, what was in that? You have the law of Moses, you have Aaron's staff, you have a bowl of manna, and the presence of God was believed to dwell on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, all of which are things that speak to God having a relationship with the people and what kind of relationship this would be. So, the ark is a picture of the God who is continually with His people, and continually providing for His people. And the wood that they make, they use to make the ark, is the acacia tree, which has the ability to do what? To take care of the people, to provide fire for a, lo- a wood for long-lasting fires to keep them warm to provide ointments and, and salves to help with their bodies to keep them healthy, provides shade uh, in the middle of the heat, provides food for their animals, right? So, and also you have to remember, it was the ark that was eventually used to lead the people through the desert. So they have this ark that they're following, this ark that's in front of them that remind them of God's provision as they're wandering through the desert. And it's made of this acacia tree, this wood, this tree that they will encounter along the way as they're wandering through the desert. Oh, it will provide for them. The tree will provide. God will provide. You see, it's all meant for them to see I've got you covered. Now, why is it believed that this tree referenced in Jeremiah and in Psalms, uh, why is it believed that it would be the acacia tree instead of just some other tree that happens to get planted by a stream, by some water? Well, um, It's believed that this to be the acacia tree because typically where these trees are located, you have to remember, desert people, desert imagery, desert regions. Um, These trees, they don't grow like on tops of mountains and valleys or even on the tops of mountain hills or even on the sides of mountains and hills. They typically grow at the base of of a mountain or a hill. Uh, in what's known as a wadi, right? A wadi is essentially kind of like a dry, flat area, almost like a riverbed, where during rainy season, the rains come down, the floods come up, the rains come down, and then there's this runoff, and then you have this flat, dry riverbed type area, right? So let me show you that acacia tree again. Let's bring up that big one. Look at where the placement of that tree is. It's on the edge of the hill and this whole flat area that you're looking at would be the wadi where the rains come down and then fill this whole area. So typically that area will be dry throughout most of the year but during the rainy season that whole thing gets wet, that whole thing gets filled up. So the acacia tree is planted or typically gets grown at the base of a mountain or a hill on the edge of a wadi, on the edge of a river where it will grow its roots out into the stream, so that during the rainy seasons, it can drink in as much water as it possibly can, so that when it comes to times of drought, it can survive. So that's why they believe this is the tree, right? So this is why when the scripture says, like a tree planted by the stream, sitting at its roots, one that doesn't fear the heat, one that doesn't fear the drought, it's believed to be describing the acacia tree. The acacia is a desert tree that serves as a source of provision for the people traveling through the desert, and it serves as a metaphor for those who trust in God. Okay, that's tree number one. Tree number two, okay, if you look back at our passage in Jeremiah, the first couple verses, verse five and verse six, this is what the Lord says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from the mere flesh of those whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Verse six, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the land, parched place of the desert, salt in the land where no one lives. Okay, so this phrase right here that we're we're concerned with will be like a bush in the wilderness. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, that word for bush can be translated as tamarisk or tamarisk, which is a tamarisk tree, which is our second tree. Uh, And then the word for wasteland can be translated as desert, So you could read this passage as, like a tamarisk tree planted in the desert, they will not see prosperity when it comes. Okay, so now let's talk about this. This is a tamarisk tree. Check this out. Okay. Um, It's a tree. Uh, It's got like kind of uh, like uh, almost like pine, it's needly, like the leaves are like needles, like pine needles. It's a really, really fascinating tree. Uh, It's a very, very slow growing tree. It's not as hardy or robust as the acacia. But what's really unique about it is in the needles the needles have actually like a high level of salt content in the needles and so that salt uh, absorbs the moisture out of the air so in a place like the desert where there's not a whole lot of moisture in the air this thing has the ability because of the salt content in the needles to absorb that into itself so when the tree gets big enough to like be able to stand underneath it or near it like to provide shade for it it actually helps to lower the temperature i mean more so than just like a normal shade would a little bit more than a normal shade would in a way that's quite cooling. So it's kind of like this, it's almost like um, like nature's mist station to some degree because it's constantly absorbing the moisture, making the air cooler than you would be somewhere else. So the tamarisk tree is a very, very, very slow growing tree. It takes decades for the thing to get uh, big enough to be beneficial. So this isn't a tree that you plant for yourself. This is a tree that you plant, may- maybe not even for your kids. This is a tree you plant for like, your great, great, great grandbabies so they can remember you when you're gone, right? So the tamarisk takes a really long time to grow big enough to become super beneficial, which is why in verse six it says, bring that verse back up, please. Verse six says that a person will be like a tamarisk in the desert. They will not see prosperity when it comes because this thing thing takes a really Really long time to develop, to grow, to be big enough to be beneficial. Now, in week one of the land, we talked about the calling of Abram, if you remember this. In chapter 12, God calls Abram, and then he gives him these, these promises. He says, I will give you these, these descendants, they will become this great nation. Your descendants will inherit this land of promise. Abraham's like, Cool, let's go. If you skip forward into chapter 21, like just a handful of chapters later, we see Abraham actually planting a tamarisk tree, okay? Check this out. Uh, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abram stayed in the land of the Philistines for a very long time. Okay, so what's the point? Well, in Genesis 12, we see the calling. God says, here's the promise. You will be a great nation. You will inherit the land. You get into chapter 21, and you see him planting the tree. At the beginning of chapter 21, you see something else interesting, and that is the birth of Abraham's son, Isaac. Okay, so he gets the calling. He gets the promise that this thing is going to happen, but it's not until chapter 21 that he has his son, Abram, uh, uh, Isaac, and then around the time of the birth of his son, he then plants this tamarisk tree, this very slow growing type of tree, which means if he's planting this around the birth of his son, it means that his descendants have not yet become a great nation. It also said that they were in the land of the Philistines, which means they have not yet taken ownership or possession of this land. And so what he's doing here is that he's planting this thing in the now Trusting and believing God so much so that this thing that he's planting now will be of benefit to the great, great, great grandkids of Abraham. Right? Like he's placing his trust in God even though these things have not yet come to fruition. He's placing his trust in God, understanding that they would eventually become a reality and that his future family would benefit from the thing he did today. Right? He believed and trusted in God. So this tamarisk tree, like, points us to this bigger picture, this idea of this long-term trust in God. That whatever the promises that God has given us or maybe given you, like, God will fulfill that thing. It may take longer than you expected. It might not be on your timeline. It might not even happen in your lifetime. But if God has made a promise, he will keep his word. Right? Some of us today need to be reminded of this exact thing, that God has given us promises, and maybe God has given you a specific promise. He will honor that. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a bit of a tough spot or a difficult situation or we're wading through something that we're uncertain about, what we need to be reminded of is that like whatever lies ahead, whatever the uncertainty of the future may be, that you can trust God will deliver on that thing regardless of that uncertainty and of that unknown. And understanding that you can trust God with those things should give you a bit of hope in this moment, regardless of what's coming next. And maybe even even for us, like, the side lesson, like on like a real kind of practical level for us today that this tree provides for us, has to do with like, how we're living our lives right now. When Abraham plants the tamarisk tree, he had the faith to do something today that would be of benefit to those much, much later. It wouldn't be of any real benefit for him in that moment. It was only for those who came after him. So how much of what we do in our lives is all about the right now, is all about like, the immediate comfort, is all about the immediate future? Or how much of your life do you actually take to do something now for not you? Something that will bless future generations. Something that will bless the people that come behind us. Whether you're talking about your own family, maybe you're talking about the community, maybe you're talking about the world at large. Where, if any places, have you planted or are you planting these metaphorical tamarisk trees? Have, Have you done any of that recently? Something that will outlive you. Something that will bless others years, decades after. right? I think maybe when it comes to ourselves, it's easy to maybe think about this in terms of like like our own family stuff. Oh, well, I'm putting away money for the kids for college. That's great. Or I'm investing time in them relationally so they can develop. Sure, that's awesome. Do that. Or spending time with the grandkids. I'm helping to shape the next generation. Yes, that's cool. Keep doing that. We need more of that. But what about like the next, next, next generation. Are we doing some good things now that are beneficial? But are, are there other things that we're neglecting through how we live that will have an impact, a negative impact on the distant future? Right, like something, I mean, like on a really like practical kind of level, like even how we handle our natural resources. Does our cultural mindset of disposability towards most things, is that like a healthy thing that will play out well for everybody in the next, next, next generation? Right? Because like what I want, what I want is I want my great, great, great grandkids to be able to drive to the beach someday And to show up and to see the beautiful blue-green ocean and to see it flourishing with life. And I want them to be able to surf and play in the water and to awe and wonder at God's creation. But are the decisions I'm making today going to affect that in a way that they show up to the beach and it's just going to be like littered in plastic and styrofoam and other garbage that they won't get to enjoy God's creation? All because their great-great-great-grandfather, Seth, Was too selfish to worry about what may come later down the line. Are the things that I'm planning today going to be beneficial to those who will come behind me? Or are the things that I'm planning today going to be detrimental to them? Tree number three. Jeremiah 17. The very first verse. This one's a bit more hidden. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Now, what many scholars believe that, w- that this word here for cursed is actually the, it's the same root word that's used for the what's known as the arar tree. And so what many scholars believe is that Jeremiah is doing this incredible play on words, right? The cursed arar. Now, let me show you about the arar tree, and maybe this will make a bit, sense, bit of sense. This is the Arar tree. You can see kind of it's pretty much alone standing in the desert. Um, it, it's not a real big tree. It gets like maybe eight to 10 feet when it's full grown. Uh, it's a part of the milkweed family. Um, it produces these, which we'll talk about in a second. Don't show the picture yet. It, it produces a fruit. Um, which you'll see, like I said, is part of the milkweed family, which will make a bit more sense if you're familiar with these things. But it grows alone out in the desert, and the way that it survives is that it has a, like a really long tap root, like you're talking six to ten feet straight down in order to help it survive where it's at. Now, it's also known for its fruit, which is interesting. Uh, so it, it's also known as Sodom's apple, so you have the Arar or Sodom's apple. It produces this large grape size, grapefruit size fruit Right, this big green fruit. You can see a picture of it here. Right, they don't look maybe that big in the picture, but they're pretty good size. Uh, and the interesting thing about it, although they look like you might be able to reach out and eat them, they're actually quite hollow. Right, to show the next picture, please. And so, if you crack one of these things open, there's nothing to it. It's it's empty. It's primarily air. It's got some seeds. It's got some fibers that are contained within it. But that's pretty much it. And so. Like, there's not much to it. So, even if you were in the desert and you were starving and you were like, What the heck? Might as well try it, boil it up. If we can fry it, everything tastes good fried. Like, I still wouldn't recommend eating it because even with that, it's still a bit poisonous to consume. So, it's like a lose, lose, lose when it comes to, like, you know, ingesting this tree. But maybe there's something to this when Jeremiah says what he said in verse 5. He says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from the mere flesh. And the word that he used for cursed is the root word that's used for the arar tree or for Sodom's apple, right? Which grows alone in the desert, that does everything by itself, and that produces this fruit that is hollow and poisonous. Like, Jeremiah is like super clever, Super, super clever. So maybe the idea is that when we depend on the self, when we attempt to stand alone, when we trust in our strength alone, the fruit of our effort will be hollow and maybe even a bit toxic to the self. So maybe the lesson for us then is like, you know, when you get in a bit of a bind where you're dealing with the difficulties and adversities of life, when you're tempted to be the fixer, when you're tempted to take matters into your own hands or trust in the self to be the savior, your efforts, the fruit of your effort may be like that of Sodom's apple, of the aurora tree. Big, green, maybe it's pretty to look at, maybe it's inviting you to partake in it, but yet in the inside it has nothing. It's empty, it's poisonous. Now, despite the hollow fruit and despite like the poisoning stuff, there actually is some benefits to the tree that if you were wandering through the desert that you could take advantage of. For example, the uh, milk sap on this tree can be used for another uh, a, a bit of... Um medical issues as well, just like the other trees we've seen. Uh, they, 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 You can use the sap to treat things like snake bites and um, scorpion stings, which would be helpful if you're wandering through the desert. Uh, it can be used as a bit of a laxative if you find yourself in the desert and you're just having some issues. Uh, there you go. the The big, broad, green leaves are very soft. They can be used to tidy up after the laxative if you get into I mean, if things are ba- look, there's provision comes in all various forms, you know what I'm saying? right? so uh, on top of that, you have things like uh, the flowers can be used to help with asthma. Uh, the powder, the leaves can be powdered to help uh, heal wounds on the skin as well. Um, it's said that even beyond like the medical benefits of this, that the nomadic people, uh, they often take that, those um, fibers found within the fruit and they twist them together and then make like a wick that you can dip in oil and then have a candle which is really neat. And then I read some things as well where some people believe that they would have used these fibers in the, in the garments for the high priest of the Hebrew people as they were traveling in the tabernacle throughout the desert. So it's got all these different kinds of stuff. So the arar, the Sodom's apple, gives us this lesson about like working on our own. Maybe it serves as a warning like about not trusting in God and the fruits of depending on the self. Uh, but the tree does have these practical benefits as well especially if you find yourself a part of an ancient people group wandering through the desert. So, that's the three trees. I want to look at one more verse and give us something to think about, something that I think is incredible. Uh, so far in this series, we've talked about God's promise. I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, we've talked about things like the geographic features of the land, the four different regions found within the promised land. We've talked about the transition of the people from Egypt Egypt. To Israel. We've talked about, uh, uh, next week we'll talk about the fruits that are coming from the land, what God wants them to do with them, the instructions he gives them. Um, But right now we're still kind of in this desert time period with the people, okay? They've been rescued, they're wandering, they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, which is a really long time to be wandering anyways, let alone in the desert. They're learning about this God who rescued them Who liberated them who set them free what is this god like can we trust this god does he have the power to provide beyond egypt into this new land where there are all these various gods okay now i want to show you something if you go back to exodus this is i want to look at right as god liberates the people because there's something interesting here and you if you're familiar with the bible you'll probably be familiar with this story but stay with me okay so check this out this is exodus chapter 13. After leaving Succoth, they came at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Okay, so God has just brought them out of Egypt. It says they were on the edge of the desert. They haven't quite begun their journey yet. They haven't stepped foot into the desert yet. And it says the presence of God will be with you in the form of a cloud, in the form of fire. And the presence of God will lead and guide and direct you. And the presence of God will take its place in front of you and never leave that place. So God has rescued them. And he's placed the presence, he's shown up in a visible, tangible way that they can see the presence of God in front of them before they begin this journey. And so I imagine if you're a slave people who 400 years of ancestors have been enslaved and now you're set free and you're standing on the edge of the desert with the presence of God in front of you, I imagine you're pretty excited. I imagine you're feeling pretty good about things. I imagine that there's a good deal of comfort with the understanding that God is in front of us and he's going to guide us and take us. But I also imagine there would be some nervousness. Maybe it's just me. I imagine there would be some worry, maybe some fear, because they're getting ready to step into the unknown. They're on the edge of the desert. They're leaving the familiarity of Egypt. And if you remember later on, they do grumble and they complain. They're like, we should just go back. So there's this uncertainty. They're stepping into the unknown. There's a lot of questions in the air if you're the people on the edge of the desert. Like, what route are we going to take, by the way? How long is this trip going to last? Will there be food and water to provide for us or our animals? Does this God really have the ability to care for us the way that he says? Right? I mean, if you think about your life, think about any time you've gone through some, some sort of transition, even if the situation you were in wasn't that great, there's still comfort in the familiar. Yeah, it really stinks, but uh, I know the territory, right? There, there's comfort in that familiar. And so even though anywhere may be better than where you are, there's still a fear of the unknown of what's out there. Think about when you had that job that you left or about the job that you wish you could leave. And you wanted to try something else. You wanted to do something different. And so you get to the edge of this desert with your job and you're like not really sure what's out there ahead of you. That can be an unsettling place to be. And you may, in fact, be believing in God. You may be trusting in God. God, I see you're with me. I see the pillar. I see the fire. I understand and trust that you're with me. But there's still a lot of unknowns that are out there. There's still so much that I'm not sure about. Like I may even have another job lined up, but like I don't really know what the other manager is going to be like and what the it could be there could be a lot of unexpected things along the way. So yeah, you're excited to leave where you were, but also just the fact that there's so many uncertainties in that space of what's next, it can be a bit overwhelming. It can cause you a good deal of anxiety, fear maybe. Or what about the various transitions we go through life that are just kind of forced upon us as we age, right? Especially as you start to get older. You're on the edge of the desert as you're leaving college, starting a new life. You're on the edge of the desert as you're entering into marriage or to relationship. You're on the edge of the desert as you're stepping into retirement. And you may be believing in God. You may be excited that God is with you. You may be trusting in God, believe that he's gonna lead the way. You see the fire. You understand that he's a part of your life and you're doing your best to follow him. But there's still a lot that you don't know. There's still a lot of uncertainty, like will I get the job after I graduate? Will this marriage relationship thing last? Do I have enough in the bank account to retire comfortably? Or what about just even in our day to day, right? Like even if you're not in a major life transition like the Hebrew people would have been at this time, and even if you believe in God, and even if you believe that God is helping to lead and guide you, we still face uncertainties all the time. What's going to happen to my kids this week? What about as they get older, as they grow up? What's going to happen, like, uh, with, 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 with the country? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to our nation? Look at all the bad stuff that's happening I hate watching the news because it's just so dark. Look at all the division and the animosity and the racial tension, the political hatred. And you may feel like you're standing on the edge of this desert. You're trying to trust God. You're trying to follow God. You're trying to put your faith and your hope in Him, but you're standing on the edge of the desert and you're staring out to the vastness of this wasteland. You're staring out into the vastness of this desert that there's nothing as far as the eye can see and you can't help but have this deep sense and concern for what's going to happen next. You can't help but maybe be a bit rattled or a bit shaken by the unknown. It's a bit scary. It can be a bit overwhelming even when you're trying your best to put your faith and your trust in God. So the Hebrew people are standing at the edge of the desert, and they're getting ready to venture into the unknown. And maybe there's this sense of excitement and freedom and newness because of what lies ahead, because they've been liberated, and because the presence of God is with them. But I've also got to believe there's this bit of uneasiness and uncertainties because of the unknown, What does our future in the desert look like? It's a big place. And the resources are pretty scarce. Will we be able to survive? Will we be able to make it? Can I really trust God in the unknown? And what's incredible to me about this whole thing, what's incredible to me is that they're standing on the edge of the desert. They've got this wide range of emotions. Certainty, uncertainty, confidence, and fear. It's all there on the edge. But what they don't know, and what they can't possibly see yet, is that there are things out there, out there in the desert, that are already waiting for them things like the acacia tree with its ability to provide for the people long-lasting fires to keep you warm on the desert nights the sap for ointments for ailments the shade in the desert the food for the animals there's things like the tamarisk tree which reminds them of God's promise to Abraham that their people will be a great people and they will, in fact, inherit the land. And that serves to provide a bit of coolness in the air because it's absorbing, absorbing the moisture. So that air isn't just shade underneath there. It's like, it's much cooler than the desert air. Or there's things like the arar, which serves as a reminder of the results of depending on the self, but also serves as a way for you to treat some physical ailments that you may have and gives you this ability to create a wick, to create a candle which will provide for you light in the darkness of the desert. And so to me, the the, the incredible thought here is that these trees, these provisions, they're already in place. They were already in place and waiting long before the Hebrew people ever stepped one foot into the desert. The trees were already out there waiting. The provisions were already there. Even though they may have been scared, even though they may have been uncertain, even though they couldn't see what was waiting for them in the future, there would be things that God has already put in place that they would come across on their way and on their journey that would provide for them. That to me is an incredible thought. You're standing on the edge of the desert, but I don't know what's out there. But I don't know. I'm not sure. Yes, I trust God. Yes, I believe. But I'm just not sure. And God's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've already got stuff out there. You can't see it yet, but it's already there. All that stuff you're worried about, I've got it covered. I've put things in place. It's already there. You don't have to fear the desert. You don't have to fear the unknown. You don't have to fear the transition. You don't have to fear the future. Because even though you might not be able to see it, God has put things in place already. God has put the things out there that are waiting for you to discover them. He has already provided for you on your journey. Yeah. We're going to go into our time of communion where we take this bread and we take this juice. We sit at this table, we participate in this meal where this juice and this bread represent the body and the blood of Jesus. We're reminded in this meal of provision, we're reminded in this meal that even though we can't see the future that God has already provided, he has provided through the gift of his son, that through him we may have new life, that through him we may have freedom and forgiveness, that through him we may have this depth of relationship with the God who created us and is always calling us to him that we may have relationship with the God who says, yeah, I know there's a lot of uncertainties and unknowns out there, but I've already got it covered. I just want you to trust me with this. So we're gonna take some time, we're gonna take a moment to think, to pray, to meditate. Maybe you need to be thinking today about these uncertainties that are out there that that are holding you up, that you're fearful of, that, that that you're wrestling with some sort of anxiety and God's like, no, 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 I've got it covered. Maybe you need to lay that at the feet of the cross today. Maybe you need to hand that over to God and trust Him with it. Maybe you need to stop being like the Sodom's apple, like the aurora tree, where you just keep trying to do it on your own, and it ends up hollow. It ends up empty. Maybe today you need to take this time and just ask God for forgiveness. I've been trying to do this on my own. I haven't trusted you. I keep trying to do it myself, and it's not really... Maybe today you just need to take time and give thanks to God. God, thank you for providing, even when I didn't know where it's coming from, even when I couldn't see it. God, thank you for providing over and over and over again. Thank you for being the type of God that wants to be in relationship with me and wants to provide. So whatever your prayer, whatever this time needs to be for you, we ask that you take this bread, take this juice, and remember the love of God, the love of Jesus that gave his life for us.